1: Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to tell you I am stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer this 2020 season with the Bench with Bubba podcast joining the Rotoballer radio network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away providing millions of fantasy baseball players their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer 2020 MLB draft kit is live, and all Bench with Bubba listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's draft kit by using the discount code BUBBA. Rotoballer is home to the number one Fantasy Pro's accuracy ranker, Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers, and busts. More than 300 2020 player outlooks and tons of in-season tools. All this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with a discount code BUBBA. Just go to rotoballer.com backslash BUBBA and get your draft kit today. They have tons of great stuff, and you get premium with promo code Bubba, DFS, all the goodies. Use promo code Bubba, sign up at Rollerballer, get an extra 10% off with promo code Bubba. Now to tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 298, we have baseball. It has finally officially happened. We kind of hinted at it on the last episode with Toby. It's here, but uh, we have baseball to talk about. We have some strategy to talk about. And in order to talk strategy and different ways to analyze players and all kinds of cool stuff, I am honored and really looking forward to having a first-time guest on the show, the one, the only Phil Duceau, du- so, I remember to pronounce it correctly, find him on Twitter at Phil PhilDuceau27. He is a 2019 NFBC Main Event winner, 8th overall. 2019 Memorial Day League winner, 10th overall. 2019 Draft Champions League winner, 14th overall. So he knows a little bit about this stuff, I'd say. Phil, how we doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. It's uh, a great intro. You're on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, trust me. It's a uh, desert. That's quite the... Um, The ledger, I should say, that you have there. That's uh, quite the resume. That is outstanding stuff last year. How long have you been uh, playing in the NFBC? Uh,
2: Not not very long. I actually started in 2017. Um, I actually never played fantasy baseball before that. Um, And then I played fantasy football when I was a kid. I had my own website at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really into fantasy football. And then I think three years ago, I heard Chris and Jeff talk about the NFBC on their SiriusXM show. Uh, so I'm like, this sounds really fun. It seems better than football, more strategy, more stats. So I joined two main event leagues, leagues that year. Um, and surprisingly, I finished 12th, for, 12th overall my first year. So I'm like, I got all this figured out. This is easy. I, can, <laughs> I know how the main event works. And then the following year, I did four leagues, and I didn't cash in any of them. So
1: it was... <laughs> Back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's baseball at its finest right there. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that's baseball, fantasy baseball, any way you look at it. It's, it's one of those games in like, you know, someone like, I guess I'm technically in the analyst column and you're, you're well, well smarter and advanced in the uh, analytical breakdown than I am. But one thing that, that people, most people that do what we do and talk about it and play the game like we do, we understand how you can know what you're talking about. In the end, the end result it's out of your control and it's just the way it's going to go. Not everybody understands that, but uh, you just gave the perfect example going from 12th overall to nothing to then you backed it up again in 2019. It's just a nice roller coaster ride of fun that we do in fantasy baseball.
2: Yeah. We talked so much about the draft. We put so much time into it, all the rankings and everything, but Mm -hmm. basically half of it is fab in season and it's figuring out who to stream, who to start and that you, you, you have to do it to figure out how to do it. You can't, just wing it you have to learn it as you do it so um and by playing you get better at it and that's the toughest part i think from from what i from my experience
1: and that's absolutely you're absolutely correct for one but it's absolutely crazy to think about now that i'm thinking about it because fab for many of us that play not all obviously there's some elite fab players out there vlad settler uh, scott Gensted, and many others and it sounds like yourself if you're doing this well but um there's, there's many of us that are still trying to figure out the formula. Like, there's no exact science, but some guys have it pretty pretty close to good. Um, for a guy like yourself that said you didn't start playing really until 2017, to be able to pick it up that quickly and be that successful because you're 100% correct, you have to be very good at fab or at least get the right moves in at the right dollar amounts and all that stuff to win leagues or contend in leagues. What, um, A, that's amazing, and B, like what kind of, I don't know, what tips do you have for Fab, or what did you, what kind of stood out to you to make you kind of pick it up that quickly, type thing?
2: Um, I got pretty good at streaming relatively early. Um, sometimes it's even just fi- just putting in the work, finding the two star pitchers, finding out which hitters have four games in Baltimore that you can pick up from Monday to Thursday, and then stream, and then just drop them the following week. Um, and you can often pick those guys up for it. the two star pitchers. Are more expensive, but the hitters. Sometimes they just a dollar, so it's I think in the main event, I probably made more pickups than anyone last year. Um, I was going through five six hitters a week just finding out hitters with good matchups and and then pairing that with my with my better hitters um, The streaming pitcher sort of comes with experience I think um, back in two thousand and seventeen it was easier um, it was i guess they had the juice ball in the second half, but even two thousand and eighteen um teams didn't pull pitchers as soon um last year was just a mess if you were Mm -hmm. trying to use two start pitchers um i mean they were all mediocre they'd go four innings and get pulled because they gave up three three runs or they get pulled after 70 75 pitches um just because the juice ball more runs they get pulled earlier and you'll really get the win um Mm -hmm. so those two start pitchers you'd I mean, you get seven, eight innings, six, seven Ks, you wouldn't get a win, and then it would just jump up your ER and whip. So um, that's one thing I learned last year. And I think the game is trending that way. The two star pitchers are going to be harder and harder to use. Um, where guys like Vlad Sedler and Scott Genstad do well, um, if there's a guy that everyone's on, they'll know he'll cost 40, 50, 60, or 100. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have that knowledge yet it's i think it just comes with feeling i don't know how they they do it but Mm -hmm. sometimes you get sort of attached you look at a guy like okay this one's my guy i think last year i was looking at Lemet. i was reading reports that we started starting to pitch in single a i'm like everyone's going to see this everyone's going to be on him i think i bid 50 or 60 in all my leagues and no one else bid on him so i'm like (laughs) 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 there goes the waste of 50 dollars in fab um The more you read on the player, you, you sort of get attached to him and it's hard to sort of take a step back. I think one thing those guys have, they talk they talk to each other a lot. So if you notice a guy, you can talk to someone else about it. And if he tells you no, no one's on him, then you say, okay, I'll pull back just five or 10, make sure I get him. And um, I think that's where the the good players really know how to take advantage of Fab.
1: There's a few things you said there that were right on. Is a they talk to each other a lot, and that definitely yeah. helps be like have a sounding board to kind of go off of. Guys, there's definitely that factor where they can flat out tell you, no, don't waste your money on him. You're being silly, like stuff like that. Like you might yeah. spend thirty bucks on him now, but you're gonna drop him next week, and he's gonna ruin your team. So little things like that that'll um, help you out in the long run. I think it is very interesting, like you said. I think that's the hardest part for me is they do find a way, and you know nothing's a perfect science, but they usually have that right idea on how to spend. Because you mentioned the lament thing I love talking about, um, like on our Monday show, once we have a season, we recap fab from TGFBI and NFBC leagues and stuff, and kind of get an idea on how much certain players, like the popular players of the week went for mm-hmm. and whatnot. And it's crazy how each league varies so much. That's where I think the science of it's so tricky is, yeah. you know, you can play in one 15 team league and a guy goes for 27 bucks and I'll play in one and he goes for $93. And you're like, what in the world am I supposed <laughs> to do with this? Like, and it happens all the time. So, yeah. That I think that's where it gets pretty stressful, but uh, it's fun. It, it, it's what we love about the game. Um, you have a lot one of things. Thing that I don't did, ask. Uh, one man.
2: thing I did last year, I started. I looked at all my fab bids, and I did a bit of analysis, and I noticed that once you know a guy's go, a guy goes for I think above forty bucks. The ones that go for a hundred or two hundred or forty, basically all perform the same. So interesting. Um, that's one thing I sort of won, like, the there was the big uh, Faber-Palooza with Austin Riley, yeah, sure. Willie Gahoo, and all those guys that everyone just overbid. And I think the only one was Oscar Mercado, who really paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the cheapest one. So that's one thing. I, it might have been just last year that was like that, but um, that's sort of what I This is going to be different with the short season, but yeah. usually I wanted to, I was thinking... If I know a guy's going to go for a lie, I just bid 40, 50. If I get him, great. If not, I'll just get the next guy. Um, that is Evan, One more thing I think that, I think that helped me was, um, I don't know if you saw Jeff Zimmerman on Fangraphs. He sort of built this formula looking at uh, CBS ownership. He basically predicts the main event fab prices. Um, hmm. And that's a really helpful, totally basic. I think on Friday or Saturday, he posts, Maybe the top twenty to thirty guys with estimated bids. So that's one thing I used uh, to sort of get an idea of how much guys going to go for, and that was really helpful. So
1: that's a good good call there. I know I've read that a few times. I'm not nearly as diligent as I should be on that one. Apparently, now hearing about <laughs> that. But um, that uh, that thing you mentioned about the forty dollars, because yeah, I brought that up a few times with the Mercado deal. Is you know we talk about Blues and people forget about him in the mix, but he did perform the best out of the bunch, and he was the cheapest. And it's one of those. A lot of people wanted the big names and even really bid on Mercado at times, it, it felt yeah. like. So that's an interesting thing. I'd I love to see how that goes forward. I know this year will be a little difficult, obviously, but some other ideas. You're a very statistical guy and a very analytical guy. Uh, we'll talk about some of your other stuff coming up here. But just you talking about the fab, how you, you went back and look at things. Do you have like a statistics background or what, what uh, got you into this kind of uh, numbers game? Um, I don't really. I've just
2: always been a numbers guy. Um, Mm -hmm. I told you about my fantasy football website earlier. I did it when I was, um, 18, 19 and 20, I think, uh, call it ultimate FF strategy. So it was all about numbers in football, trying to figure out an edge, things like that. Um, obviously it doesn't work nearly as well in football, but I guess that's sort of where I got started. Um, and then I'm just really good with, with Excel. So, um, give me a spreadsheet, give me stats, and I'll figure something out. So
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I'm jealous. I'm super envious. Uh, I know you said you listen to the the podcast with myself and Dave, and that's one of the things I struggle at the most is like building sheets and yeah. analyzing that stuff. I can, I can do a lot of the visual stuff. It's almost like if I could put me with you, we'd be a dangerous force. But um, stuff like that, that, that's a skill in itself. Um, and we're going to talk about a lot of those things here, but let's get into the 60-game season. We have baseball, Phil, and I know we've yeah. kind of been – We've been DMing them back and forth for the last few weeks about it. Like, okay, hey, hopefully we have something. Hopefully we have something. Yeah. <laughs> we got something. So it worked out very well. Perfect timing. Um, some of the generic stuff is it's not technically the three-division format, but it's going to be the three-division format in a roundabout way. It's going to be an unbalanced schedule, but you're going to stay east, central, west for the most yeah. part. So that'll impact how you draft players at times. Um, there's going to be the universal DH in the National League. That'll be interesting as well. With some of the things we're talking about for the in season-wise, you probably already started digging in a little bit. There's going to be a lot more to do, especially as more information comes out uh, this weekend. They're supposed to start saying some guys that might not play and all those kind of factors. How are you um, dissecting the, the news so far, like the, the scheduling, the DH, when it comes to your fantasy analysis, when you're uh, looking to you know draft pretty soon.
2: Yeah. For scheduling, I told you I'm a numbers guy. So uh, I ran the numbers last night for the new schedule, at least what we know from it. And, it really wasn't as different as I thought it would be. Um, Overall, what I found is that the central teams get basically a 1% advantage and the West teams get a a 1% disadvantage. So obviously the better teams in those divisions, um, like the Indians and the twins get a bit of an edge because they play the Tigers more often, uh, the Royals. But um, I had to, I I read the numbers, I think three, four times to make sure I was getting it right. But (laughs) it, It it didn't. I don't know. It 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 wasn't nearly as much as I thought it would be. So then I sort of thought about it. I'm like, okay, look at it from the uh, from the Indians' perspective. Um, they get 20 games in, against the NL Central, and they're pretty much an average division. So you you can sort of forget those games, and then the other 40 games, the White Sox are an average team. You can say the Twins and Royals sort of cancel each other out, and then that leaves the Tigers. Um. In a normal season, they play 19 out of 162 against them. So roughly 7 out of 60 for a short season. And then they're sort of playing 10. So the only real difference for the Indians is they get three extra games against the Tigers compared to uh, a normal schedule. So it's an edge, but three games is like 5% a season. So um, that sort of showed me that my numbers are probably right. And I mean, I'll, I'll still apply it to my formulas, but it might move guys three or four spots up or down once you get to the round 10, 15, 20, but it won't be a major difference.
1: Okay. That's a good point. First off the way you described that made so much more sense to me because if you just throw <clears> the numbers <throat> out there, uh, uh zips on FanGraphs came out with the uh, strength of schedules and it's pretty much what you're saying is it showcases the, the East and maybe even the West kind of the bottom feeders have the toughest schedule. The Central's kind of just neutral almost overall like the top teams in every division has like the easiest schedule in theory. And it makes sense the way you're describing it there. Um, But it's all pretty tight. It's like between a winning percentage of about like 44% to 52%, which I know sounds like a lot, but when you're talking 30 teams and it's just, it all kind of jumbles together in the end there. Um, So that, that's, that that makes so much more sense. Don't you just say, just think three more Tigers games is pretty much the difference. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, now, Now I talked about it with Toby shoot probably over a month ago when we were just kind of speculating on the divisional setups and you know like this division might have better pitching matchups against these teams more lefties here so on and so forth how much of that are you going to look into when you're doing this because you kind of just said you know first 10 rounds it's almost business as usual which I understand But are you going to maybe say are you going to use it as a factor if there's the two guys that are pretty close together and you'd go wait you know the Dodgers they're gonna have a pretty nice pitching schedule stuff like that um
2: Probably not, because I think it sort of gets to, um, you're sort of picking at things and you don't know if it's going to be that game that it's going to come out against a righty or lefty. I think my plan was mainly just to get more starters. Um, I'm probably looking to get 11 or 12 starters in my lineup and then basically start six or seven and then five on the bench and then just play matchups every week. Um I think if you just get the best players, you can figure out the matchups from week to week. Um, I think if, if you start drafting players based on matchups, you don't even know if it's going to work out that way. Um, you might pass up on a player you would think is better. Um, and in the end, something that might not even have mattered because you don't know how the matchup is going to work out.
1: That makes a lot of sense with the pitching situation there because, A, you know with Fab, you're going to churn and burn anyway. So if a guy doesn't out you can you can flip them around or do things like that. Sometimes it's easier to do with pitching, especially on a short season when you know ten to twelve starts. You can make some decisions pretty quick in theory. Uh, at, the, at the same time, I think it might be easier to draft guys that you have confidence in out the gate than attempting to stream pitching. I think that's going to be extremely difficult because on a small season, those ratios are going to get. If you have a bad starter two, that's going to just blow things up in a big, big way. So you, you're talking about getting a handful of starters, like you said. Are you looking to maybe get some lockdown aces early or do you just try to, you know, best available when they come, they come?
2: Um, I'm always an ace guy. I always get one. Um, sometimes I'll get two like Toby if it falls that way. Um, but usually in the first two rounds I like to get an ace and then a hitter who can steal bases. Um, I think those are the two hardest things to get. And then once you get those, um, you can go from there. You can your it keeps options open. In a third, fourth, fifth round, um, if you go two starters to, soft, to, to start, then in third round, you're forced to take a hitter. So if it turns out that the, a starter is dropping and then you, you want to take him, then um, it limits your options. So um, I usually like to keep balance as much as possible to keep options open. Uh, but I do like to get an ace early.
1: That makes a ton of sense. I, I'm with you there. I've been, I used to never be pitching early, and each year it gets earlier and earlier. And I think... All the drafts I did this year, either the ones that we still have or that got canceled, I had a pitcher, at least one pitcher, at the latest by round three, usually by round one or two. I, I was taking someone depending on where I was drafting, what position I was in. And you're right, it gives you that kind of comfort zone that you can go somewhere else as the draft goes on that you might not be able to. If you wait, you might be forced to go somewhere you don't really want to go. So that that makes a lot of sense. And you, you mentioned guys with steals. Uh, I'm with you getting balanced guys early. On a shorter season like this, where obviously, you know, fewer steals, fewer counting stats in general, um, batting average can get really wonky with a smaller number. Are you into I know in the main event which you've already signed up for with their new system, we'll, we'll talk about that in a in a minute with NFBC, yeah. but that has an overall price, so that you can't really punt anything. Yeah. How are you approaching these stats? Like um I got an Adalberto Mondesi, who might not help you in all categories but could go steal skill, skill 25 bases in a short season. Does he kind of get bumped for you? Or are you sticking with uh, the usual?
2: I usually don't like those guys that provide just one thing. Um, I'll talk about my, my system a little bit later. Uh, but one thing I have in my system, I have what I call a balance metric where I push up guys that provide in five categories or at least are balanced. So that might have a 260, 270 average with five or 10 steals, 15, 20 home runs. Um, that provided it everywhere. Um, a guy like Z, he's a decent hitter, but if he goes on a cold streak for 10, 15 games, he could start hitting ninth, and he'd basically be useless. So um, it's unlikely to happen, but it's one of the possibilities. So um, I try to avoid that with an early round pick. Um, even I'm not a Malik Smith guy. Um, even the power hitters, I found the same thing. So Pete Alonso. I think I have like 60 or 70 in my hitters. He's really low. Um, I usually go for balanced guys um, pretty much throughout the draft. And I think they're easier to replace because if you're counting a Monizy for steals, say in a full season, you're hoping for, I don't know, 40, 50. Mm -hmm. So you're balancing that in your roster. If he gets hurt, you're short by 40 steals. Um, If your 15 steals guy gets hurt, it's easy to replace in Fab. Um, So same thing with Alonso. If you're counting on him for 40, 50 home runs in a full season, if he gets hurt, you have to find, and you're you're suddenly really unbalanced. So you have to find a way to get that power. So I find if you have more balanced guys uh, in your whole team, if one gets hurt, it's easy to go to Fab, you replace him. Um, You can get pretty much anyone because if you're balanced everywhere, you can get a power guy, you can get a steals guy, whatever is available.
1: Well, all I know is I can't draft in the same league as you because we have the like, basically the same squad, <laughs> all of that. Like everyone, Pete Alonzo has been like my most overdrafted guy in almost anything that anybody's asked me to write about. And, uh, yeah, I remember honestly, you i haven't to, it. To, Yeah, I, we are like on, on the same page. I went back and looked at my TGFBI roster, which is probably one of the first drafts I did, and <laughs> you look at my first 10 picks and almost all of them give you st- – like they're balanced. It's just the way I draft. I'm 100% with you because – it's easy to replace or easier to replace. So you, you can't, you, you know, the year like Mondesi came on, uh, off the waiver wire, you don't get a lot of those kind of guys. It just doesn't happen. It's, it's yeah. once in a blue moon a, on a 60 game season. Good luck. So, um, that's really going to change it up with the small ramp up, you know, July 1st, they're going to report to their spring training 2.0 or summer training or whatever the name is going to be for the t-shirts they're going to sell out mm-hmm. there. um, they're going to get three weeks. And obviously, we've seen videos. We know these guys have been training. Game shape and training shape are two different things. How are you approaching that? I know some pitchers are talking about not being stretched out ready. So there might be two or three starts before they're, they're they're ready to go, which already cuts into things. Are you approaching anything different there? Or are you just kind of waiting and seeing right now?
2: It's really hard. I'm sort of waiting and seeing. Um, you mm-hmm. probably saw the uh, Xanthopoulos comment who said his starters are going to go through three, maybe four innings to start off for the first two starts or so. Um, he wants to cause a 30-man roster for the first. I think it's two weeks. Um, he wants to use all his bullpen guys, uh, limit injuries. Um, but then I also re- I forgot who said it, but I think someone said that his starters are basically ready to go four, five, six innings already. Um, yeah. and then I saw I think it's Kikuchi uh, with the Mariners who who's already throwing 50, 60 pitches in bullpen. So, I mean, in three weeks I have to assume he's going to be ready to throw 80, 90 pitches. And I think a lot of guys are that way. So. Um, we'll probably get more information in two weeks, but for now, um, I mean, I'm not drafting right now, so I'm sort of just waiting and seeing, keeping my rankings. as is, and if I have to adjust and I will, um, the one thing I might be careful with younger pitchers. Um, like I can understand, uh, Mike Soroka, which is going through her four innings, but I really doubt that the ink is going to pull Cole after 60 pitches on opening day. It yep it just wouldn't make sense. Um, if he's ready to go, they're going to let him go 70, 80, 90 pitches. He's, he's going to get those five innings. So, um, I mean, I'll just they're two different caliber of pitchers, but um, even a veteran like, uh, I don't know, Lance Lane, Mike Minor, if, if they can go longer, they're going to go longer.
1: I'm 100% with you. That's kind of my thing. I think every team has at least two or three pitchers that they're comfortable stretching out out the gate. They're veteran guys like even a guy like Clayton Kershaw, I hate guys with back injuries, but I'm pretty confident by opening day he's going five or six. Like he's just going yeah. to. I, I have those kind of like, but I'm with you. Like on the same team, Julio Urias might only go three innings. Yeah, exactly. I, I can see that as well. And so I think each team is going to have a little bit of both. Is the way I look at it. And and then like you said with Kikuchi's news, I think there'll be a lot of that because we've you know if you're on Twitter, Twitter is such a great it's a cesspool for a lot of things, yeah. but it's a it's a great resource for what we do. And in this time when they were negotiating and you couldn't really get videos or anything, players were videoing each other. And you could see they're throwing 95 already. They're throwing bullpens to stay stretched out. They know they knew the drill. They knew they were going to get ramped up quickly. Um, you know, my, it'll be different seeing live hitters, of course, obviously. But to say they weren't prepping, I think it's a little crazy. Uh, there, there's a reason there's all these COVID cases already because they've been practicing together. They're getting getting ready. It's very simple, but um, so I I think that's a a very good point you make there. There's part of me that's you know thinking there's going to be a lot of it, but then the more I talk to you and other guys of late, I have a hunch it's not as many as we think. So that'll be really interesting. Uh, What other kind of things are you waiting to see, or are you you changing? On it seems like you're not changing a ton of your strategy on a shortened season, but what kind of things is the short season? kind of waiting on news what do you what are you doing as you get ready to draft
2: for me the biggest thing with the well it's not really short season it's universal dh um for me that changes everything um i did the math i think three different ways i think uh steamer came out with the updated projections last night um and it has a huge impact um in terms of era i think it might be 0.2 or 0.3 it's not huge but If you do that for ERA, for whips, strikeouts go down by, I don't know, maybe 5%. Um, Wins in the innings pitch probably stay the same. But once you add all that up in terms of value, um, in the early rounds, obviously, it doesn't affect because guys are spread out. But once again, the middle rounds, NL pitchers are going down five spots and AL pitchers are going up about five five spots to, I guess, balance that out. Um, It changes all my rankings. It's not a lot of people. Like, everyone's talking about um, like the 15 new hitters that are gonna be the DH get the playing time, but um for the pitchers, it changes everything.
1: No, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, steamer and depth charts have been updated. Glad you mentioned that because I didn't even know it. I just went and pulled up fan graphs. So like looking at Walker Bueller, obviously he's on the top end side of things, but 12 starts, five and three, seventy-two innings. It's about right, probably, because that's a little over five about five, it's about six, that's six innings per start. Uh 10K per nine, three five four ERA. 354 ERA is actually not bad. Some people might have suspected uh, shorter, but let's look at everybody's favorite just because his name's right here. Trevor Bauer, because you mentioned the guys up top, obviously it makes sense, but when you drop down below, things change a bit. So Bauer, 74 innings. We've known he's been an innings eater, 10.18K per nine, but a 416 ERA. So he gets a little bit of a, a bump where uh, depth chart still has him at 395. Uh, full season, the Bat had him at 410 and ATC had him at 390. So it does pop up from the usual because uh, ATC is supposed to update this weekend, but he uses Steamer and Bat and some other things. So his his 390 was a cumulative, obviously yeah. a 416 for Steamer. So you're right, the, the bumping up factor farther down the list can be interesting.
2: And even last year, um, Hyunjin Ryu with the Dodgers, he moved to the Jays. And then mm-hmm. last year was one of the best pitchers. I know he's not as, as durable, does as go to, as deep into games, but this year no one talked about him because he was back in the AL. so adding the MLDH is basically the same thing as we're doing with him. Um, we sorted it automatically because his projections came out early We say, okay, he's lower, higher ERX moving to the AL, but now you're doing that for all pitchers. Um,
1: Another he, great, just, great way to explain it right there. Just like you did with other things. That's like, such an easy way to explain it <laughs> because, well, because like and you look, you pull up his, you know, last year, two, three, two, sure. That was a little ambitious. Like repeating that was gonna be difficult, even if he stayed on the Dodgers, but um for a full season, ATC had him at 378. The yeah. steamer shortened season, four two seven. So yeah. <laughs> quite the bump. Um are you a are you a Jays fan by chance?
2: Um I I started following them when they went in playoffs, I think it was three, four years ago. Um mm-hmm. the Jose Bautista bat flip. So um oh, yeah, that sort of got me to like the Jays. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was a really well, cool story. I was actually in Vegas for that. Um I think I bet a thousand dollars on the Jays to win by run line. So to win by two, um, and they were down by one. and He had that three run home run oh, and <laughs> sports book. And it was filled with Canadians and the whole casino just went nuts. I think it's one of my, one of my favorite sports experience being that there at that time. Um, and obviously with the money involved, it was, it was even better, <laughs>
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. There's there's something to be said about a sports book when kind of everyone's on the same page and chaos yeah. like that takes place. It's it's an experience unlike any other. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty awesome. So I'm with you. That's pretty cool. And you got the I keep calling them the baby Blue Jays. You guys got some young players and be a lot of fun to check out. So yeah, it's hard cool. to
2: past to team though. When I mean I'm drafting four or five leagues, so I usually <laughs> I just follow my guys. Then if I happen to draft Jays that year, I'll watch them more. Usually, mm-hmm. i watch mainly my pitchers. So um, Last year, I watched a lot Jacob DeGrom. I, loved, I watched him Blake Snell, which was really disappointing. Um, yeah. I sort of follow my pitchers.
1: <laughs> just out of curiosity, I know we're going to talk about your pitching
2: strategy later.
1: Are you on Blake Snell this year? No. Yeah, I'm there.
2: way low. Even before the injury, I had him really low, probably lower than anyone, probably around my 15th or 20th pitcher, uh, mm-hmm. just because I don't like pitchers that – didn't finish year the year before you don't know how healthy they are he came back but you don't know like he wasn't going six seven innings so there's always a risk of that injury coming back and then with his struggles in in spring training and then he's 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 getting ready now but um i just don't trust him
1: all right so i mentioned that you signed up for the new nfbc main event it's a 1200 dollars buy-in 100000 guaranteed up top so a little different than before but still pretty awesome that they put this together yeah. I think they're going to put together a few other contests here, kind of shorter season deals. Um, pretty much anything with Fab got returned to everybody. You can go to the NFPC Twitter account or their website to get the whole read. But uh, they, they they did the main event. I know they got some other things coming out this week. You already signed up for at least one spot in the main event. Um, how, how many are you going to – Or how uh, aggressive are you going to be drafting this year on the shorter season than you were on a normal season?
2: Um, I got what they call a grand slam package. I got four entries right away. Um, nice. I had three. You were not messing
1: around. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I guess with the low, I had three mains before I had a, an auction, which isn't going to happen. Um, so I sort of just put the with the lower price when I guess four mains, it's the same amount of money as three. Um, mm-hmm. and then one of those actually won last year. Um, one of those daily contests, they had, uh, DFS things. I finished first and then got a free main for this year. So, um. I'm sort of, and I guess doing four. I'm spreading the risk. I guess with the short season, you never know. But um, with four leagues, I always try. In the first two rounds, I'll target eight guys, pick my KDS to make sure I get them as much as possible, and I don't want to get the same guy in two leagues. Um, if if your first round pick gets hurt, it really hurts. So, um, especially with the COVID thing, you don't know if you don't know what's going to happen. So, um, I guess more leagues, spreading the risk um it, it feels safer it's a lot of money in obviously but uh not for everyone but um mm-hmm. we'll give it a shot and see what happens
1: you kind of mentioned they're spreading the risk as we know the covid thing people are going to get it throughout the season it's just going to be how it goes there's the mike trout story we're trying to find out if he has to quarantine when he leaves i think he won't have to just pass a couple of tests and it'll be one of those type of things i think baseball wants to face of baseball on the field so they'll make some uh exp- exceptions to that situation i think but how are you approaching that? Like we know some guys have already had it and people think you can't get it again. That's not always hundred percent true. Um, obviously there's a the threat of, you know, a, a whole clubhouse getting it. I don't think that's as, as serious. as it could, but you never know. How much of that are you taking into account? Or are you just going to roll with what you got and whatever happens, happens?
2: Um, it's really hard because we will probably find out more next week. When, once players start showing up at camp, we know some are testing positive. Just because either they've been training together or just living their lives and they picked it up somewhere. Um, I don't know. It's hard to guess. I mean, one of the things, are we like guys on the Astros, Rangers, Rays, Marlins, Diamondbacks, where, this, where there, there's more cases, is it riskier to get those guys? Um, the AL and NL Central feel safer because those those states are doing better. Um, the Yankees and Mets feel safe, but they have to go to Florida for a road trip. So is that a risk? um it's sort of all questions i'm asking myself i haven't changed my rankings because of that yet um i'm thinking i might in a couple weeks depending on how things go but you have to think guys in florida and texas are riskier um just because they live there they're playing their home games there um even just going home their wife going to the grocery store anything um they can pick it up somewhere so um i might make a change in a couple of weeks, once we know a little more of what's going on in camp, how the protocols are working, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm, with just, I'm I'm keeping an open mind too.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there because even if you, you know, you mentioned there's Texas, Arizona, Florida. Well, now we think, okay, the Western divisions go to Arizona and Texas, three different places, so that yeah. makes things more interesting. Like it sounds silly, but at the same time, it could be legit. These are the the hot spots, so let's see how this plays out. Um, something to think about, obviously. And I'm with you. We could, we got to find out more information. There's going to be guys that aren't going to play they're going to start being able to report that here over the weekend and uh, we'll find out some more stuff there, but let's talk, let's switch it to a positive note. One of the things, many that you, you obviously um, have a bunch of different systems in play uh, stats that you like to use in different like you know, formulas going on, but a Twitter thread that you had just took uh, took fantasy baseball Twitter by storm. And <laughs> it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. And it's been mentioned on other shows and, Pretty much right after that came out, it's when I hit you up and said, when can you come on the show? We need to talk. <laughs> so um, this is really good stuff here. And it, w- it was fun because it was a big discussion point. It started with like Rob Silver and some others saying, hey, on a shortened season, universal DHS, starters aren't going to be as valuable. You want hitters, all these things. You kind of prove that's not correct. So can you explain your whole thread? And we'll kind of break it down a little bit of how starters value and, and, and hitters values on a short season kind of differ.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, basically, I'll start with sort of how I do it. In my spreadsheet, I have data since 2016, uh, where I can compare ADP directly with the end of season stats. Uh, so I started with that, and then I got stats from the first 80 games, which at that time we were hoping for 80 games, um, just to compare the two. Um, this is more statistics but, statistics, but in terms of R-squared, um, obviously when we're, if I take the ADP compared with end of season and half season stats, we're obviously better at projecting full season stats because it's a bigger sample. Um, but on, for the half season, we lost twice as much accuracy for hitters than we did for for starters. So, um, that was sort of one thing. Then when I find something like that, I always try to figure out why, um, to make sure my numbers are right. Um, and the one explanation I, I could find is that if you look at, I know, Jose Ramirez last year, he was horrible in the first half. It can happen to other hitters. Um, and then Josh Bell later was great. So, uh, But then someone like the Grom or Cole, you know, you know they're going to get their strikeouts. So even if they have a really bad half season, I think Cole even had like a four ERA for, I don't know if it was first half, but at least through maybe five, ten starts um they're gonna get their case. So that'll give you a floor in value. Um and I think that's the bigger thing with hitters. If they go into Cold Streak, they're not getting average home run runs or RBS. They're getting nothing. So um and then the other thing I looked at, um I wanted to see where the top players came from. So I took um from since 2016 uh basically the top eleven hitters and five pitchers per round uh per year. Um and then 30 of the top 44 hitters at the halfway mark were drafted in the first five rounds. So that's about two thirds. And then 19 of the top 20 pitchers, um, 19 of the top 20 starters um, were drafted in the first five rounds. So um, you can probably look at main event results last year, but I bet that a lot of teams that did well, either had Cole Verlander, I think Strasburg, one of the top pitchers had one of those guys um, if you want to compete, you probably need a top five pitcher. And to get that, you have to draft him in the first five rounds, even for just half half season stats. So um I know some people were talking about going six, seven, eight straight hitters and then going with, with starters just because they feel they're more volatile. But um sure the Grom can have four or five ERA, but Dom Busgrove can have a seven ERA. Um they can be good, but they can be even worse. So um do you want to take that risk or do you want to get go with someone safer who's going to get you Ks? Might have a worse ERA, but he could also have a 1.5 or 2 ERA. So um, it doesn't change my strategy that much. I told you I always, I always want to get an ace. Um, one thing I might do is get a second pitcher earlier. Sometimes I wait, uh, but this year I might try to get another one, at least in third or fourth round. Just to make sure I have a, a better base uh, for my starters. Uh, based on the analysis I did, I, I think I want two starters in the first five rounds. Yeah,
1: that, that's amazing stuff there, because as as you know, and people that listen to my show enough, I do the bat flip show with with Toby, Mister Pocket Aces himself, and it's been a discussion <laughs> many yeah. many times we've had we've had on the show, and he slowly grows on me. Like I started doing mock drafts <laughs> with two aces, and like I see the appeal, and I feel like my my way to evaluate hitters, I can take hitters late much more efficiently than I can pitchers. And I think that kind of also correlates what you just said there is, you know, sure, you can go after Joe Musgrove. He might have a big season. That's great and all. But for every, like, Lance Lynn who had a big year last year, there's 20 guys that just completely bomb or more. Like, whereas in the first couple rounds, these aces, the the DeGroms, Verlanders, Scherzers, Coles, even Bueller, those type of guys, maybe one out of five goes bad. Stuff like yeah. that. Like, and that's if, they, not
2: if they stay healthy, they're pretty much surely going to be good. Especially the top five. Like last year, I think Aaron Nola uh, struggled a little bit. But even then, he wasn't that bad. He's still going in third or fourth round this year. So um, mm-hmm. Snell got hurt. But other than that, um, they usually perform if they stay healthy.
1: Yeah, and health, we can't predict health. You, you, yeah. you draft on You draft on talent and whatever the projections say, whatever your model is, whatever you use, you draft for that. Health, you can't – if you're making something that factors in health and that's accurate, my goodness, you go buy lotto tickets because you're you're crazy good. But um, I'm starting to, like, buy into it slowly more and more. I told him the other day, he still hasn't sold me on the real mute. <laughs> still not 100% there. I start to on a shorter season. That can be a discussion we can have in a bit. I start to see the validity a little more. But when it comes to the pitchers, especially on a shortened season, I even – I literally just was on a different show earlier today. And I'm thinking, okay – say you take a Cole DeGrom-Verlander early, even if they struggle ratio-wise, they're probably going to get you wins because of the teams they're on, which are going to be super important this season because they're going to be harder to get for starters, especially if they're not going deep into games. And secondly, even if they struggle, they're probably going to get you, if they're on, they're going to get you close to 100 strikeouts, which is ridiculous on a shortened season compared to, say, a Joe Musgrove later in the round. Like that, yeah. that gap in that counting stat alone is going to be tremendous.
2: And I think if that's where you can adjust in season, if you have a Cole and he has a bad ERA, um, if everyone has a bad ERA, you can always punt ERA and whip in season, just go for K's wins and then go for third place. I things I actually did that in, in an auction last year. Um, I think I had one good starter um, who started struggling. I think it was Scherzer. He got hurt a little bit and he wasn't as good as I'd hoped. Uh, and then everyone I drafted later was just awful. So I'm like, I'll just get two-star pitchers. I'll, I'll I'll punt ERA and whip, uh, get K's wins as much as I can. And I was I was last after two months. And then I made it up to, I finished fourth. I was second or third at some point. Um, and I tried cashing. So that's, that's, I mean, it's not winning, but you can always try, you can adjust in season. Um, or if you get the K's, uh, you can always get a third closer or middle reliever who's going to help with those ratios a little bit to balance that out. Um, once you do well in one category, you can adjust in season.
1: Um, you, you you mentioned something there, and we'll throw one of Dave McDonald's questions out here because I was going to ask it to you anyways, and it fits in here. He he was asking, what are you doing with closers this year? You just mentioned a middle reliever. And something I've been thinking about is due to ratios, you get a couple big guys early, and then you got got like, the Pomerans, the Lugos, those type of guys are going to go – they're set-up men, but they might run, like that might run into some saves, but they're good ratio guys or strikeouts. Do you foresee yourself going that route, loading up on closers? How do you handle the bullpen uh, situation on the shortened season?
2: In the draft, I'm staying away from all the, all the guys that don't have a job. Um, just because it feels like those guys change every year. Pumins was great last year, but that, well, he converted to reliever last year. We don't know how he's going to do this year. Uh, Mir gearrett sort of came out of nowhere last year he did well for the first half um there's always guys that show up in the past i think ryan presley was doing great also last year um there's guys everywhere in fab that show up so if i want ratios i know i can find a middle of a reliever who's doing well and relievers it feels like there's more of hot street kind of thing if they have it or they don't um in the draft you never know if you spend a I don't know, 20th round pick on a guy who's you're hoping a middle reliever who won't get you saves, you're hoping for ratios. He can have a bad, bad outing at, at first. And you just don't know, especially with I mean, would you feel comfortable starting Palmerans the first week and hoping for two, three innings? You don't know sure. who's gonna do um, you don't know what starters either, but at least starters you're you're getting K's, you're getting possibly wins with relievers, you need uh you need ratios. And if you don't get those, you're getting nothing. Um,
1: yeah, very good point.
2: I am bumping up closers though. For me, closers anyone with a job, um, usually normal season you have six months to find you have the trade deadline four months in, you can meet tra- trade deadline for five weeks this year, but I don't think there's gonna be as, as many trades. Uh, more teams are gonna be in it. Um, closers get hurt, closers lose their jobs. You can try to find closers on fab, but this year, um, I'm getting at least. Two, maybe three closures with a job. Um, it feels like because they they just went up. I mean, their their value, if you look at it um, from a stats perspective, you say every week, every time they go out, they have, I don't know, five percent chance of losing a job. So the shorter the season, the smaller the chance of losing a job. And then if they rack up on a five, six, seven saves in the first month, and then they have two blown saves, you just drop them, they lose the job, you got half season worth of saves, um, which in the full season is three months and you'd be happy with that. So, um, and it'll be, if, if a closer um, comes up in fab, people are going to spend six, seven, eight hundred seven, on it. And then you're limiting all your other options. So um, I'd rather get my saves in the draft. And then even if I have to, um, even if it hurts my hitting, my lose a little bit. Um, it's just one guy you're going to find. I mean, what are the odds of a hitter that you pick in round 20 to outperform a hitter in round eight in a short season, maybe 40%. Mm-hmm. And then what are the odds of a closer, or I guess a middle reliever in round 20 outperforming a closer who has the job um, in round eight. It, it's a lot less mm-hmm. than 40%. So that's sort of how I look at it. Um, I want to get those saves. Even if I pass on hitters, I like, uh, I want to get those saves locked in.
1: That's a very good way to look at it. Um, I, I, I did a lot of research before, I guess, before we knew everything was going to be shut down. I did drafts before the uh, spring training finished, and they still did drafts till like, sometime in April. So we had about sixty, fifty to 60 drafts, uh, online drafts in both segments I was looking at. And after things got shut down, when there was, you know, the Arizona plans and all those other plans showed up there, closers were moving up the ADP already then yeah uh, so th- that was already a thing happening. so this makes it makes sense. It's one of those things I've told people with the closers, I- I'd go and either you get really, really aggressive and get some studs or it's like quality or quantity is the way I look at it. either that or you go get like three or four middle like tier three or four guys, which I know are riskier because they might lose their job, but on a smaller season, like you said, it might be tougher to lose your job type situation all depends. But I guess in the end, you're, you're, you're looking more eight round eight, so you're talking like the Kenley Jansons, the Chapmans of the world, stuff like that. So you want yeah. the, the big guys that are on good teams that got pretty locked-in jobs. Which Even in the main, I
2: mean, it's nothing new. Everyone knows what I'm saying. So yeah. um, the top closers, uh, I don't know, Hayter, Ozuna, they might move up half a round. Mm-hmm. But once they get to the Joey Menez, Keone Kella. People are going to start panning. They say I I got to get my saves. I think those guys could easily move up two, three, four rounds. So, where would you rather spend half a round on the top guys or three, four, five rounds on the
1: bottom guys? So, um, yeah, good point. That's a relative value of where they should be going and where they are going are two completely different things. So that that makes a lot of sense there because those guys that you mentioned the Jimenez, the Kayla's, those are the big jumpers. Those are the guys that were back there were moving up quite a bit. So that says a lot to what you you were saying right there. So. Get your starters, get your closers, get your bats later. That's what yeah. <laughs> <that's kinda, laughs> it's like. One thing involved. I
2: really paid off for me last year with closers, um, in, in one league, I actually two leagues, uh, 30th round, I'm like, um, let's try uh, okay, Greg Holland. Um, I'm like, everyone assumes Archie Bradley is going to have the job, but we don't know. I'll pick him up. Um, and then he had the job for half the year. And that really paid off. And he got 15 saves, and he got terrible, as we all expected. And then I just dropped him. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he really paid off. So that's one thing I might also try in the last few picks. Uh, I know there's people talking about Trevor Rosenthal maybe getting the job with the Royals. Um, I mean, they're probably not going to announce a closer, and then you just find out on opening day. So give it a try in round 29-30. If it works out, great. If not, you just drop him. Like You'd probably drop any starter or hitter that you pick up in that round.
1: No, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, you mentioned about your pitcher rankings. You did a big thread on that as well, and that was a very interesting one. How you use like velocity and and all kinds of other factors when when uh, you making your projections and ADPs and all that stuff to um, to analyze your pitchers going for the next year. How'd you kind of uh, your stand your standings gained points? I feel like an idiot when they kept using the <laughs> and then I and then I went and looked at your thread. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you're talking about. Gotcha. There's a trending um, word on Twitter today. <laughs> yeah, I, I kept telling him, and he wouldn't answer me, and then you finally did, thank goodness, because I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. But um, <laughs> then, then, then you spelled it out and it made so much sense. Um, so standings, gain points is something you use. Just to kind of explain how you go about evaluating your pitchers to make your rankings better. Essentially, that's why they're yours. Yeah, uh,
2: basically, I'll start with the standing gains point method. Everyone, everyone who, th- who wants to check it out, um, Tanner Bell on smartfantasybaseball.com. He has some tools. He really explains how it works. Um, basically, the way you look at it is um, I sort of did it a bit differently than him, but you can take your league standings. I looked at the main event overall standings. Um, usually, I'll remove the edges, so maybe the top 50 teams, the bottom 50 teams. And then you look at runs. You'll say team 51 had, I don't know, 1,000 runs. And then I guess if you do it in 15 team league, it's easier. Um, team three maybe had. 1,000 runs, Team 13 had 800 runs. Um, so that's the difference two, of 200. Um, from 3 to 13, that's 10 points in a standings. So to move up one, one spot in runs, you usually need about 20 runs. Um, so that's how you give value to runs. You do the same thing for every category. So you might say um, you need 20 runs to gain one point in standings. Uh, you need five stolen bases. Um and then just do it for RBI. A- a- Rachel average a little bit more complicated, but like I said, the formula is on on Tanner Bell's website. Um, but that's the basic of it. It's basically a way of turning um roto stats into fantasy points. I guess you can say. Um, in football, it's easy. It's just points. It's a way for c- converting that. So we just have one number to look at. Um, that's the main. I know. Um, and then. I'll try to explain my spreadsheet a little bit. It's really complex, so I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, but basically, the way I start is I have two sets of projections. I have Steamer and I have Pod uh, Projections. Um, and then I also have Main Event ADP, and I have end-of-season stats. All of that since 2016. Um, so I have four years of, four years of data. Um, and then I turn all of those into uh, SGP, standing Game Points. Um, so I have uh, one number for productions, uh, one number for end of season stats. And then the main event ADP, I sort of did a bit, a bit of a regression um, where I'll know someone, say, here hitter with ADP of 100 should end up with 13 SGP on average. Um, so that's basically how I do my spreadsheet. And then uh, the way I work from there, um, let's say we take Ronald Acuna last year, uh, brought up in front of me. Uh, projections gave gave him 19.8 based on his adp he should have been about 18.7 so average those out out get about 19.3 but then he earned 25.5 at the end of the year um so the way my system works is i have those two values 19.3 25.5 i have that for all the hitters uh and pitchers for the past four years um and my goal is to get that 19.3 as close as possible that 25.5 using stats that I had before the 2019 season. It obviously doesn't make sense to use last year stats to get. Um, it's a way to backtest my system and find formulas that can improve. Because um, if I can get that 19.3, which is I guess where people would usually draft him up to 21 based on my system, then I might've had him my third best hitter last year and I'd end up with him. So um, it's a way to improve my rankings, improve my values.
1: Nice. That's uh, it's in depth, but it makes a ton of sense to just have like a value for them instead of looking at all the stats and trying to project out how that ranks with everybody. I think that's a, a very interesting way to do it. I need to I need to look into more of Tanner's stuff. I know Toby uses his model for his projection systems. Uh, you're using that model for your your point space deal. That's uh, I need to go check that out in a big big way. Uh, have you found doing this little system? Not little system. Doing this system. Have <laughs> you have have you found uh, any kind of standouts that all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is way different than what like other like quote unquote regular you know projections or rankings have for certain players that have helped you like in recent years?
2: Yeah, I have some some crazy rankings. Um... They look nothing like ADP, nothing like other rankings, for example. One thing, um, basically what what I said to get that 19.3 closer to that 25.5 is to find factors. I think for pitchers, I found about 17. For hitters, I found about 10. It's just stats I add to either increase or decrease all of those players' numbers. And I use the same formula for all players, so you're not nitpicking a specific player. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but like one example... um, for hitters that are projected to hit seventh or eighth in the order, um, I found they were undervalued. Um, basically, I just take my spreadsheet, filter by batting order, I'll average out um, the average of production, say they're average nine, uh, sorry, 11. And then at the end of the year, they gave a value of 12. So I know they're undervalued by one. Um, so then I just dig deeper, try to come up with a formula where I bump them up a little bit, see if it's um, the higher hitters that have to bump up the lower hitters. Um, and then once I find something like that, I always want to find an explanation because um, the 7th or 8th hitter, it might just be 100 hitters. So um, you always want to have an explanation. Otherwise, you're sort of just guessing and hoping it, it keeps going on. But if you want your system uh, to project forward, um, it has to make sense. So my my reasoning for that was hitters that are projected hit 7th or 8th in the batting order. It's the easiest thing to move up. I mean, improving skills happens, but uh Dance Swanson's Swanson a great example. Actually, he was projected to hit eight. Um, he had a hot start. I think in CRT got hurt or started struggling. Swanson moved up to second pretty quickly within a couple of weeks. And then he worked out from there. So his value just shot up. Basically, his plate appearance was up by, I guess, about 15%. You just increase value by 15%, even if he has the same skills he just went way up. So um, that's one thing I noticed in my system. Um, another example, uh, left-handed hitters, I find them to be overvalued. Um, and then switch hitters are undervalued. It, when you think about it, um, especially in the middle rounds, like a guy around 10, you hope a left-handed hitter um, is going to get full playing time. But if he hits 150 after two weeks, he's going to start platooning. He's, got, he's not going to hit lefties. Um, and then his, so his play prints go down by 30%. The switch hitter, if he, even if he goes on a cold streak for a month, um, he might get a day off or two, but he's going to stay in there. Um, so that's the kind of thing, like, I don't want to say it's better than steamer. Cause obviously I couldn't do what I'm doing. If I didn't have their base, I can't project average individually. I just try to apply their stuff to what I'm doing, which is the NFBC. Um, yeah. so I look for edges like that. Um And then, what I said with the seventh or eighth place hitter, if they struggle, if they stay eighth or if they struggle, I just drop them and I replace them in fab. so um they just have more upside than someone who's projected to hit second or he really has to do well, um otherwise he'll go down. so it's just little things like that that I look for um it's honestly hours and hours of stuff, testing data um last year, I had it pretty well for hitters. It worked out really well. And it's usually it's pretty much why I did well in my um in, in the NFBC. I had Josh Bell really high, Kettle Marte really high, a lot higher than most. So I had those guys in two, three leagues. Um and that really paid off. My pitchers weren't great. Um I think probably since January I spent I don't know, fifty hours on pitchers trying to find factors and I came up with I think last year I had two or three, now I've got seventeen. So um and it it sounds complicated but it's everything that other people talk about um like people talk about pitch mix for hitters uh like the experienced players know they look at pitch mix mix individually i just get all the data from fan graphs and i try to come up with for the formula to quantify it um it's just my way of doing things i'm really good with excel um and like that thing I mentioned that other Twitter thread was uh, fastball velocity in the second half. Um, a pitch a certain pitcher who improved his velocity from the first to the second half, um, I think what I found was by 0.8 miles per hour. Um, someone to Navy be a 15th round will usually return ninth round value. so you're basically basically getting six rounds for free um, just from the 15 or 20 guys that I guess 15 or 20 over the past. Four years, it might be four or five this year. Um, those guys should be going five, six rounds earlier. So um, it's just the kind of things I look at um, that other people look at, but the way I can quantify it, it, it can tell me like someone might like a pitcher going in the 15th round and say, okay, I like him. I'll take him in 12 or 13. Um, by quantifying it, I, I know he's worth sixth or seventh round value. So I have no problem pulling the trigger in the 10th round, the 11th round, if I have to, to make sure I get my guys. Um, and like I said, it's all of the stuff I came up with was just listening to podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. I know Scott Stad once he talked about whip um, on the wire podcast. He, look, he says, I look at whip proposals. It feels like guys who can avoid putting guys on base, they do better. Great, I'll test it. Pull up my spreadsheet, look at either projected WHIP, projected whip, whip from the previous year all together and then I found that he was right. Closes with a better whip are usually undervalued by ADP and protection system. Usually they probably hang on to the job longer. So I just add it to my system. So it's one more factor I can look at. Um everyone looks at the same stuff. All all the good NFBC players, I just have a way to quantify it. Um, because that's the way I'm used to doing
1: things. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely fascinated with this. I'm literally just sitting here listening going, my goodness, like the <laughs> <me." laughs> I, I love it because you're right. We we all look at these numbers like it, it, in different ways. Someone or some group are looking at one or all of these numbers in, in a roundabout way, trying to justify and look at who's better this way. Why we're drafting this guy, so on and so forth. But the way you test it and quantify it and gives you it gives you that upper hand because, as you know, especially in in big main events, NFPC leagues, if you can find that guy that's five rounds undervalued and and so maybe you take him a round or two earlier so you make sure you get him that is tremendous like that is game-changing type stuff if you know when and where to take a guy maybe a little early because we always talk about you know you go get your guys especially in those big events and so that always kind of throws adp out a little bit but if you know hey this player a is six rounds undervalued well i'll jump maybe two or three rounds and i'm gonna go get him so that's a that's a big difference you mentioned josh bell catel Marte. they obviously had tremendous years last year so that's that's awesome stuff I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out for you this year because I know you're going to keep tweaking it with the the 60 games and all that and seeing where all that factors out but uh, let's get into some listener questions we have quite a few and it's going to cover a litany of what we've been talking about here and the first one I sent you in the DM it came from a couple days ago it's just an interesting one and you don't have to name a bunch of guys if you don't want to because we're kind of still figuring everything out but swanzilla at swing if you swan two asks who climbs up the ranks in fantasy baseball this year with short season based on schedule and universal dh in a points league so i know you, you i guess your only points league maybe is the dc maybe not at all but um what are you looking at with uh, the like the guys that kind of get a boost from the shortened season um it's not a whole lot from the shortened season i
2: don't see a whole lot of difference it's mainly universal DH. Um, Obviously the guys that are gonna go up the most are Ryan Braun, who's gonna regular playing time now for sure at DH. Uh he's probably gonna stay healthier as well. You got Jesse Winker. Um Cespedes with the Mets apparently is gonna be DH. Um and then someone like Real Muto, I think he's gonna get he's gonna play pretty much every day. He's gonna catch maybe fifty games and be D H for five or ten. So um guys like that that I like. Um they're the guys gonna move up the most, guys that get a new job. So um, and one more thing with the universal DH that we, people don't really talk about um, it's 15 new jobs. So it's 15 new hitters in fab um, with regular playing time. Um, every week in fab I'll find there's always maybe five, 10, 15 hitters that maybe the righties playing three lefties that are going to play three games. Now it's been an extra 15 guys. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind when you're drafting, that haters are going to be easier to find in fans they, than they've ever been. Um, at least that's the way I look at it.
1: That's a good point. Another reason to go get those pitchers and fill the hitting in later. Uh, I like that. It's a very good point. I haven't heard that point yet, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Mike Carter at MDRC0508. He has, what is the biggest impact of the short season on your strategy, Phil? Um, probably...
2: Um, like I said, with universal DH, I'll lean pitching a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, it's probably the, the, the extra pitcher that I'll get early that we talked about. Um, and what I said about the DH, the extra jobs, um, I'm probably going to get a base of nine or 10 hitters and then just wait, make sure I get my starters. Um, I think in a short, it's, it's partly short season, uh, partly just the way baseball is trending. Um. With the Rays I believe, doing two, three innings, uh, doing the opener, follower, all that stuff, uh, the Braves that might have their starters go two, three, four innings, um, I so just want to have access to more starters on my roster. And the better they are, the better chance there is that they're going to go five innings from the get-go. Um, and I think later in training camp, we're going to get an, an idea of which guys are ready to go four or five innings. Um, and those wins that you can get in the first Week or two are going to be really valuable if you can pick up four or five wins. And someone who has younger pitchers that just go four innings that don't get anything, um, I think that's going to be huge.
1: Um, yeah, I'm with you there. I think think it's very big. I think more for me, it's like the more emphasis on the starting pitcher, like you keep saying, and then just get those balanced guys, like really get those balanced guys because every little, like, three, four, five steals from each guy you have is going to be tremendous this year. So yeah. stuff stuff along those lines. Uh, Mike Carter has another question for us. Um, who is one guy you moved way up your draft board and who is one guy you've moved down? I, I'm still working on my updated rankings. I'm going to have them out July 1st is my goal. I know you said you're still waiting on some news on stuff too. But I guess for me, I'll say Real Muto's moved up my board. I, I talked about it last yeah. week. You just mentioned them. He's a guy, it makes so much more sense to me now on the shortened season playing time with the DH. He's a guy that moved up my board for sure. What are some guys for you?
2: Um, like I said the, 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 earlier, the guys that are going to move up the most are the closer with the job. I and mean, I think you're going to see that with ADP, the Mark Melanson, Keone Kela, Joey Menez, and all those guys. Um, I expect them to move up four or five rounds in the main. Um, and I'll probably move them up my rankings as well, almost as, just as much. Um, and then the guys going to go down are the other guys, the Will Smith, the Emilio Pagan. Um, they don't have the job to start. Um, you don't want to take you don't want to hang hang on to those guys for a month hoping they start getting saves. Um, I know some people might draft them to hope for ratios, but I have a tough time with that earlier in the season. Um and I know the guys that are gonna move up the popular answer that here everywhere is uh, Jesus Lazardo. Um, I'm gonna go on a bit of a rant. Um, I know everyone's talking about that. He's gonna move up. There's no uh pitch limit. You gotta get uh, no innings limit, sorry. Um he's gonna go usually I think they were talking about 130, 140 innings in the short season go he can go deeper, but like he's not gonna pitch six innings per start. They're gonna start two, three, four innings, and then maybe for his last eight, nine starts, he's gonna average five, five and a half innings. So um if you put that over full season it's going to end up being the same 130 140 that we talked about and he's a guy that from what I saw he's probably moving up two three four five rounds um yeah and for me that's
1: just crazy um yeah Lizardo's moving up way too much and yeah. what I went to there because like, the talent's undeniable the kid's really really good he's gonna be a great pick in 2021 yeah but um this year it's just tough like the comparison I want to compare him to is Remember when Chris Paddock started last season and he struggled yeah. to get through five most times. And it took a long time before he found like the sixth or seventh inning and starts. Yeah. I could see similarities here. I'm with you there. Yeah, exactly.
2: And I think I read, I think he went his career. I think he went over five innings in the majors only once or twice. Um, something crazy like that. I have to pull up the stat, but it's something crazy like that. Like he's not going to go six innings. Um, it, there's no way maybe later in the year if he's doing well, but I mean, if the Oakland's gonna have what three, four extra um bullpen guys for the first few weeks and then an extra two or three after that, they're gonna use those. They're gonna put Lazardo maybe two, three innings, then have someone else go after that, and they're gonna be really careful with them. Um, especially with the short ramp up. So um yeah, I'm
1: staying way off of him. <laughs> yep, I, I could definitely see that one. My buddy Yancey Eaton at Yancey Eaton, he always has a, a good a good off the wall <laughs> question for us. So when is Phil going to actually add a cover photo to his profile? Phil, do you have an answer for Yancy?
2: Yeah, I did that this morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: he messaged me about that, I think, uh two weeks ago. He told me I'll promote you on Twitter, but you've got to get a cover photo <laughs> I don't know what to do. And then this morning, uh, I ended up putting the uh the plan for the possible Expo stadium in downtown Montreal. I'm I'm in the Montreal area. We're hoping to get the Expos back at some point. Uh so that's what get some. That'd be a good one.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. I guess, Montreal needs baseball back. It's as simple. I don't want to. I've gone on a rant about that before, just as a baseball fan. So I, I'm not going to do it again. But they they need baseball back that And I totally
2: guess people good. from outside of Montreal don't really understand it, but they used to play at Olympic Stadium, which is about yep. a 30 minute subway ride from downtown, and you were just locked in. Um, they could open up the roof, but it 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 just it's just an – bad building for baseball you were far from the field um i went there when i was a kid when i was six seven years old my first baseball games um and then so if they can build a stadium downtown where people get off work at five and then just walk to the stadium or take a five minute subway ride um it's going to be completely different
1: Oh yeah, you get the businesses around it, the people around it. you can go grab a drink or some food and go to the game. That changes everything. That's yeah, what it
2: is right for hockey? I mean, obviously people love hockey here. They love love the Canadians, but um, the, this the arena is right downtown, and people get off work and they go to games. So um, mm-hmm. especially in the summer, baseball is a great sport for that. You I don't know, you go to the stadium, eat, drink a beer, talk with work buddies. Um, it's the perfect sport for that, so um, you need a stadium downtown. So I'm hoping they they get a team. Hopefully not a half team with the Rays. Um, I'm yeah, hoping with horrible with all of this this money stuff. Um, the MLB might want to push up expansion because it's basically free money for them. Whether it's I think I don't know 500 million, a billion, whatever it is, um, it's free money that they spit that they split among the, all the owners. So if they want to get some money back. Um, I'm hoping they maybe push up expansion and figure it out and we can get a team here.
1: <laughs> that'd be cool. i would be all for it. Uh, Steven Humans asks, thoughts on Yasiel Puig. Do you think he gets signed? I think he does. Do you think he gets signed?
2: Yeah, he gets signed for sure. I mean, I think the only reason he wasn't signed is they put a freeze on on moves.
1: Um, Agreed.
2: His value is going to depend. I heard the Giants, um, mm-hmm. that would be probably the worst spot for his value. <laughs> Even yeah. for him, probably probably to sign a one-year deal. And then get a better deal next year. Um, the Cubs would be a great landing spot. Um, he'll probably end up in the NL because basically there's fifteen UDH jobs, and a bunch of NL teams sort of probably got caught off guard and they can use an extra player. So um there's he'll probably find a job in the NL somewhere and hopefully he can he can he can perform.
1: Yeah, I know the Giants have a spot for him fantasy wise, not ideal. Cubs would be good. I also think Miami, not fantasy wise, but a Cuban player in Miami, I think, could be a, a steal player. Yeah. given I know they don't have fans for the games, but just the merchandise and everything they could sell, they'd he'd, they'd pay for the salary real quick with him yeah. there. So I could see that one. Uh, Rob DiPietro, big fan of yours, Phil. Big fan <laughs> of yours. Um, are we expecting even more progressive approach in handling of pitchers from teams this year? Uh, we kind of hit that already. And then also, he's interested in how you are adjusting for SGP in a shortened season. Does that method take too much of a hit in 60 games? Does it make sense to PVM instead? So you 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 kind kind of talked about that already. (laughs) Yeah, what is PVM? That's the other one I was wondering. What is PVM? Yeah, I looked it
2: up. It's called percentage valuation method. Um, Basically, what you do is you look at, say, 15 team league, 14 hitters. So the top 210 hitters, you add up all those stats. And then if someone gets, I don't know, 1% of RBIs, um that's his value you sort of look by category which he, each player is getting in terms of percentage i think you add that up after that um sure. the way i'm doing with sgp sgps for a full season i'm just multiplying all my projections by 2.7 um from 60 to 162 um you turn 60 game projections into 162 um and i think that's about it um obviously for me, I told you my whole system is built around STP. So I'm not going to change everything up just because the short season, um, Mm -hmm. I'm just multiplying steamers projections and pod projections, which I'm I'm hoping are going to come out, multiply those by 2.7 and then use the same system I'm using as I've always done and hope, hope it works out. Sweet.
1: Sweet. Um, yeah. Cause PVM, no idea, but, um, I think whatever method
2: you use, though, I mean, people are thinking PVM is better. There's a big debate. Um, you always have to adjust. I mean, I use SGP. I told you I calculate based on the standings, but you always have to adjust uh, based on your league. Um, the way I do it, I think Rod's, Rob Silver would, would love this. He loves mock, mock drafts. Um, <laughs>
1: big fan I, I of solo fan, mock
2: drafts. So it's even more exciting. Um, <laughs> 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 Basically, I just take my spreadsheet, sort of by ADP, pretend I'm team eight, whatever. Um, and then the top seven draft just based on ADP. I make my pick, and then everyone drafts based on ADP. Um, and then it's a great way to test things out because I usually try to get the top guy in my rankings. I do the whole draft. It takes, I don't know, 30 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And then I look at my team. Is it balanced? Is it, uh, do I have more stolen bases in my short and stolen bases? You do that for a few spots in the draft. So instead of doing mock drafts that don't matter, you just sort of do it for yourself in excel really quickly um and it's a great way for positions as well if in your rankings every time your pick is up you always have shortstops at the top well maybe you should bump them down because you're what you're going to do is you're going to end up dra- drafting shortstops in the 4th and 5th round and then in the 10th round, 11th round, 12th round the top down your rankings the shortstop so you're going to look further down in your rankings just because you took shortstop earlier so um i try to adjust my rankings that way for position scarcity for by category. And once I do solo mock drafts, like I like to call them for fun. Um, and once I know I'm building balanced teams and I can pretty much every time take someone in my top two or three in my rankings, it tells me, and I end up with a balanced team. It tells me, okay, my rankings are pretty good. I'm valuing categories properly. Um, cause even based on SGP, if you value steals perfectly, if people are pushing them up, you have to push them up. Um, It's so no matter what method you use, you can use TVN, you can use whatever method you want. You have to adjust it based on what you what you expect your league to do.
1: Where do you do these solo mock drafts at?
2: I just do it in Excel. I I take my my rankings. I have ADP on there. I just sort by ADP, and then I'll just put an X for one through seven. And then okay, I'm teammate. Who's the top guy? Okay, I'll take. I'll drop down a few spots. Take my guy, and then nine. I just Put X's for ADP and so on. So I assume everyone drafts gotcha. based on ADP, which isn't perfect, but um, it gives an idea of in the average draft or say everyone drafts based on ADP, who's going to be available to me at, at every pick.
1: Gotcha. Uh, Steve Waimer asks, as a follow up, or actually, yeah, the follow up, do you weight all categories equally in generating player values or do you weight them differently based on reliability of underlying projections like gaze or more than walk? Market trends in seasonability, something along those lines, so are they all equal, or do you weight them differently? Um, on the pitching side, I trust
2: the SGP. Um, I mentioned earlier with pitching, I think it's pretty easy to adjust in season. Um, if you're doing well in ratios, you can take a chance with two start pitchers. Um, if you're struggling in ratios, you can you can try to punt them if you want just to cash, um, or you can just try a couple middle relievers if you're already do, doing well in case and wins. Um there's always options for hitting. The one category I'll bump up is probably stolen bases because I don't want to be short in stolen bases. Um I mentioned earlier with average with home runs with runs with RBIs, you can always find a hitter on Fab who's gonna have four games in Baltimore in Detroit. Um and you can get average or power that way if you need to. Uh with stolen bases, it's really hard. There's a few guys last year I got lucky with John Birdie. I was short on sales, got lucky with them late in the year. Uh but they don't come up every year and it's hard to find them and everyone's on them. Um, so, and it's usually if they're available, they're going to be expensive. So um, while the streaming headers, you can find for a dollar or two every week, you just have to put in the work. So um, that's sort of the way I do it. I don't want to be short on steals.
1: Yeah that makes a lot of sense. That's one of those categories. Hardest one to find out there. Yeah. Um, Mr. Dave McDonald, this will start our <laughs> Dave McDonald segment of the show. Um, ex- <laughs> Explain your process for evaluating hitters and pitchers. How do you get your stuff rating for pitchers? What stats do you look at for hitters? What else goes into your evaluations, et cetera, et cetera? A, he wants to know how to compete with you. But B, <laughs> he's also, cur- also kind of curious on your method, basically.
2: Yeah, I talked about my system a little bit earlier. Um, one of the metrics I use, I told Dave about it. It's, it's stuff. Um, stuff, sorry. Um, it's one of the 17 I found. Basically, I just look at Fangraphs. I look at every, I say I look at, I download all the data because I, I don't look at it individually, but um, I compare each starter's fastball, slider, curve, whatever, with the league average. So, in terms of velo and movement. So, if a starter has his fastball with better velo, better movement, he gets a certain ratings, like a certain percentage advantage, whatever. Um, and then I just came up with the metric for that. Um, I tested it and it, it helped out the ranking. So, um, it's not, it's not, like I said, it's nothing complicated. Some people who look, um, they'll watch Syndergaard pitch and they know he has a great slider, or whatever. I'm not good with that stuff. I don't have the experience. So I try to come up with, with metrics like that, That is the same stuff that everyone else looks at, but um, just quantify everything.
1: No, nope, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's go to Dave's next question here. Uh he asks, How far behind less than Dave will you finish in the main event this year, assuming there is one which you both will be in. Um will you come in second overall behind him, or will there be a further gap between you two? Did he mention his question that he finished tenth last and
2: I was eighth?
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, i'm looking forward to when he listens to that
2: i keep making Alex. fun of him because of that it's i know i have i can make fun of him at least for the next few months i finished ahead of him last year so <laughs> that's awesome
1: that's awesome do you plan on beating him this year i'm assuming so yes yeah of course it's funny i think toby <laughs> was
2: fine last year so it was funny that we're all, all right with all you together. guys
1: right there yeah awesome uh he says you're new to fantasy baseball you new, but kicking everyone's butt so <laughs> I mean. um talk about how that could have both positive and negative impacts on you for example being new perhaps you don't suffer from the same biases and bad practices that people who have played this game for a long time still have so what are some pros and cons of being new i guess
2: um in my first year i thought it really helped it was crazy um 2017 was different with pitchers and all that stuff but um I started the draft the the team that finished well I, I think I had sale Kluber and then I had Jansen and another closer. I started with four pitchers and then just got hitters from there. And I went that way just because it was what the numbers told me. And if you'd have spoken to any experienced player, even why I mentioned it on Twitter a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and everyone's like, there's no way you can win with that. There's no way it doesn't make sense. Um, but that year it's how the data worked out. So um, I think that was an advantage where I just didn't pay attention to uh, what people said, the biases, the things that people are used to. Oh, you can't draft two starters. Um, you can't draft two closers to start to in third and fourth round. Um, but I did it because that's what the numbers told me. And that worked out well that year. Um, but since then, baseball changed. So, um, now it's different, but that part of it does help. Um, the one thing that's tougher is um, I don't have the baseball knowledge that other people have. Like I said, someone's gonna look at someone's slider. Okay, that's good. I got to be on that guy this year. Um, some players are really good, um, and they know, like, they know who this year's Giolotto is gonna be because they know what pitches he has. Um, Mm -hmm. I have to find the data to prove that he can be good. Sometimes it doesn't show up in the data. Sometimes it does. So um, it's different ways of doing things. I think both have advantages and disadvantages.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's one thing for me I've always said is I I feel pretty confident in my hitting analysis. Like I could break down a hitter. I can look at the stats. Pitching, it's still a year-by-year growth for me. I'm still trying to develop all that kind of stuff. It's just, I guess I, I wasn't a pitcher back in the day, so I can't, it doesn't like it doesn't sink in with me as much as other like yeah. you're saying they can see the pitch mix change and i'm like this year i started to be able to see it more when, like we talked about alcantara and uh matt and these other guys that you saw the second half adjustments that really were strong that maybe could be something to look forward to i could never see that before so that's uh little things like that uh next question from dave who has helped you grow as a fantasy player and how
2: um I'll have to just say Dave for at first, just cause to make him feel good. Um, <laughs> we've been talking on Twitter for the past. We didn't really know each other. We've been talking Twitter for like a month. Um, and then we, I guess we can say we became best buddies on Twitter. Uh, just cause Dave does things really differently. Um, he looks at the, pretty much the exact same. It, I saw his closer rankings. I think you talked about it them, with him. Um, I have ranks that are really similar to him, but I do it totally different way. So um, just bouncing ideas off of him. He tells, "Okay, I look at that. Okay, I'll see if I can add it to my system." Um, so that's one thing. Um, now other people that really helped. Um, it's really the podcast I said. Uh, guys like Jeff Erickson, Scott Dantz, that I listen to every week. Um, Chris List on the Sex XM show, and then the Rob Silver, Jeff Zimmerman, their Launch and Go podcast. I listen to those every week, and um, Jeff Zimmerman's really good with numbers too. I think he does things really close to the way I do it. So a lot of the ideas for my system came from him, from his book as well with Tanner Bell. Um They're just ideas I find from players with more experience than I have. And then I figure out what, what did they look at and then try to try to quantify it. Um Add it to my system.
1: Yeah, no, you, Jeff working with Tanner, it's a great combo. And there's just so many good resources out there. So it's good to hear um, yourself as a as a very successful NFPc player still pays attention to all those resources because some people think that they're you know we don't need this stuff but you're you're right they're soaking it up like a sponge and that's uh I do it like during my day when I'm in my truck I look, listen to podcasts all day not always yeah. a baseball podcasts but I listen to podcasts all the time just trying to learn things so hundred percent with you there next Dave question. <laughs> how, much should, how much should we be moving NL pitchers down and AL pitchers up? Tell the people how big of an effect the NLDH is. Phil has nailed this one already. But if you want to give a real brief recap for anybody that might have, you know, stepped out of the room for a minute, how would you uh, change those things?
2: Um, the, I'm going to say the way I look at it, because I know, I think Matt Modica looks at it completely different. And he's a really good player as well. Um, the way my math tells me it's about five, six spots up and down in the middle rounds. In the early rounds, it might be one or two spots. Um, The biggest change for me, I I had Cole and DeGrom pretty close to each other, and now Cole's my number one pitcher by far. Um, So, um, things like that. I think I gave Dave an example of um, if I ran the basic math over, uh, not really basic math, but (laughs) I ran my SGP um, (laughs) and over a 34 start season. Two pitchers with the exact same stats. Um, the one um, that doesn't face, the, uh, sorry, the one that's going to face the DH, it's the equivalent of three fewer wins. Um, that's roughly what it gave me. So three wins is huge. Um, so it's spread out across all categories, but if you want just one number to represent what it is for a pitcher that throws, that pitches for uh, 34 games, it's about three wins in terms of value. So it's huge. Um, I know others are gonna look at it differently. Um Matt Modica's more uh he doesn't look at stats as much as I do, but he's been really, really successful. So he has another way of thinking. Um and then I guess we'll find out who's who's right this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, it will be fun to, to see it because he is a very, very talented player. So yeah, that's yeah. one thing that's one thing I love. Like I kinda said it earlier and we've talked about it, is there's so many good players, so many different ways to play the game. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, sometimes we're both kind of right. And it's, it's just that's what makes it so much fun is that you can evaluate things so in so many different versions and ways and directions. And sometimes it gets you where you need to go, and sometimes it kind of you need to detour and come back. So it's, Matt, a, it's such a wish, fun game. With,
2: um, with Matt Modica and um, Gecko on Twitter, um, <laughs> both of them are great players. And we have three different ways looking at it. Gecko was I'm sort of doing the same for all pitchers, uh, and Gecko was. Um, He's looking at it pitcher by pitcher. Some pitchers get were better against other pitchers, so uh, they're going to move down more. Some pitchers weren't as good, so it won't make as much a difference for them. Um, it's just different ways looking at it, and we don't know exactly what's going to be, but um, we're taking our best guess and hoping, hoping we're right.
1: No doubt about it. Uh, we already hit on Dave's closer question, so we're good there, and that takes us to the last question of the night from Dave. Um, <laughs> What do you think will be the differentiator that separates the overall winning team, he says his, (laughs) in the NFPC this year? So what do you think on the shortened season when we're all trying to speculate, you know, the craziness that's going to take place, whatever it is, what do you think the differentiator is between the winning team and everybody else? If Dave wins, it's going to be
2: roster construction and risk management. And he's going to talk about that for the next six months, <laughs> maybe longer. So I don't think we want that to happen. <laughs> um, I think if you get through the season, um, it won't be that much different than previous years. Obviously you, you're you going to want, you always need above average injury luck. So this is going to be above average injury and COVID luck, um, which is hard to predict. You probably, like I said, there might be small indicators early on, but, um if it get crazy if it gets crazy where there's a team with 10 15 players that test positive um they're going to change something so um if we get through it i think it's going to be the same as the other years um draft the right players make the right moves in fab and
1: hope for the best yeah for me i i've thought about it a bit it's i think it relates to your fab answer there i think it's going to be who can decide to get like really get the drop a guy faster, not yeah. hold on to him as long. Cause yeah. you know, in a longer season, you can have a couple of weeks or a couple of bad starts or something to kind of see how it goes before you you pull the pen. Whoever can decide, you know what, this is not going to work. I need to go the fastest and the most accurate. That's going to be the person that really has some success.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Especially with um sometimes it happens with 50, um, 50 closers. He mm-hmm. gets it one night. And then you don't know next night it's someone else. And then figuring out, do you keep that guy, if you start him, do you drop him? Because um, mm-hmm. if you start someone who thinks you're, he's going to be a closer, you put him for a week, he gets nothing. You just wasted one pitcher spot. And you get, I think, it's gonna be nine weeks, nine spots. That's 81 spots in total. If you waste one, two, three for a week, um, it's going to hurt much more than usual. So, um yeah, you're right. Making the right moves at the right time is, is going to be huge.
1: Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. But one thing I do know, Phil, we're going to wrap this up, and this was a blast getting to talk to you. Um, do you have any, any final words for the listeners as we get ready to actually play fantasy baseball this season before we head on out?
2: Um, one thing I'm trying to set up, um, I spoke to Greg about it for those who play the NFBC main event. I'm trying to set up a sort of live main event on Zoom. Um, Th- that would so- be cool. Um Greg said he's gonna monitor it probably with a six pack of Corona. Um <laughs> <laughs> the one thing he said is we probably have to get a job uh sorry a date before uh July 17th. So an early main to make sure there's only one because he can't make sure that we're all in the same one. Uh, yeah so anyone interested, um uh, message me, find me on Twitter, uh Phil so 27 and I'm gonna try to set that up because we're not gonna have live mains this year, but if we can do one on Zoom and talk about it while we're doing it, uh, I think it'd be really cool.
1: That'd be really cool. And uh, maybe maybe I'll reach out to Greg and see if he wants some help uh, having a, a moderator or something to have some fun with this. But yeah. uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. And yeah, you guys should follow Phil on Twitter, like you said. You're not going to regret it. Lots of fun. Lots of great conversation. Super knowledgeable, as you can tell. in his three years of outstanding fantasy baseball experience. I'm just blown away <laughs> when you said 2017 was your first year. That is I've been playing this thing 15, 16 years. You've, you've accomplished a lot. It's all I'm going to say a lot really quickly. So kudos to you. And uh, thanks for joining me, Phil. I look forward to, to sitting down and chat with you again sometime. That was, that was a pleasure getting to chat with you.
2: Thanks. That was awesome. A lot of fun.
1: All right, buddy. Check him out on Twitter at Phil do so 27. Uh, you, you're not going to regret it, but everybody, this is bench with Bubba episode 298 talking. We have baseball. That's all I'm gonna say. We have baseball and I'll <laughs> catch you guys later.